I want to invite you to go ahead and open your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. We're going to jump in the text that was just read to us. Let me formally welcome you to Fellowship Bible in addition to the, word, the uh, welcome you already got from Carl. My name is Rob, one of the teaching pastors here, and just grateful to be with you, particularly on this morning, you know, well into the Christmas season, well into the Christmas spirit, so to speak, looking at maybe the most well-known passage of the whole Christmas story and excited to dive into that and kind of dig and find some new understanding and meaning in it. Let me remind us before we actually do that, we've got four Christmas Eve services tomorrow. Hope you're planning to join us for one of them. 3 o'clock, 4.30, and 6. Secondly, just want to say thanks. You all have once again just responded to the invitation to give generously to our global fund. That's still open. We will continue to do that, particularly through the end of the year. Uh, last I looked a day or two ago, around $350,000 have been given for those 12 partners. And every dollar of that that you all have generously given goes straight to those partners. And so we want to thank you for that. It's going to enable us to... Uh, to do a lot that they need done in those areas where they're uh, preaching God's word in, in many difficult circumstances. Uh, also, just a reminder, as we've just been thinking about giving, the uh, baskets were just passed. Um, for any nonprofit, and our church included, the end of the year is what kind of fuels ministry and propels you into the new year. So God's been gracious to provide for the ministry, not only around the world, but also right here at Fellowship. But just a reminder, if you would like to make a year-end donation or contribution, that would help us tremendously in doing the work that we believe God has called us to in a new mission, a new vision in 2019. So we would love to invite you to consider that, uh, particularly between now and the end of the year. You can do that online or mail in, whatever you would like to do that. Now we're in this series and we're gonna kind of wrap it up today, although we're gonna continue this theme of songs of Advent into our Christmas Eve services tomorrow. Lloyd will be here, I'll be down at Franklin. So this is an opportunity for us to kind of look at the songs that are embedded in the text. And this is the fourth one, I believe, that we've talked about as we've kind of gone through this series. Now, how do we know they were songs sung at Christmas? Technically, we don't. What we find in the narrative, in the, the Greek text, is we find several instances where poetic devices are used by an individual or a character in the story that has the look and feel of song lyrics. And so they may, very well may have been proclaimed as a song. Certainly, we've adopted melodies for them. Uh, it might have been hymns that were sung in the early church, you know, as they were recounting the birth of Jesus Christ. So we know it's poetry. We know it has literary devices that would lend itself to song lyrics, uh, and we believe they were most likely songs. So we've talked about the song of Isaiah 700 years before Jesus was born. We talked about the song of Mary when you know, she responded to the message of the angel that she was going to give birth to the Messiah. Uh, we talked about the song last week Lloyd did of Zacharias, who is the father of John the Baptist in the prophetic a song that he proclaimed. And this morning, we're gonna look at the Song of the Angels. You know, this very short little passage, Jeff read it, and really we're gonna focus on mostly one verse of the text that Jeff read. And it's this famous, glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, you know, men of goodwill, goodwill toward men. We'll talk about that in a little bit in the King James translation and why they go that route with it. It's the phrase that you see on the Christmas cards. Okay, if you associate anything with Christmas theologically, it's probably the idea of peace on earth. So the Christmas cards have been coming in 
All right, and Jody and I have this big kind of uh, bulletin board kind of thing in our kitchen, and we just we when when you all send us cards, we put them up on our bulletin board, and and they have had a tendency to stay there all year long, right? Because after a while, it kind of becomes wallpaper, and then somebody comes in about October, and they're like, "Is that last Christmas?" And we're like, you know, embarrassed to say yes. But I counted this week to see how many of them have peace on earth. And it's the predominant phrase that you're going to see on the Christmas cards, on the coffee mugs, you know, in the little, you know, spiritual messages that you hear, you know, all throughout the uh, Christmas season. What does it actually mean? What is peace? And particularly the, the kind of peace that the angels were proclaiming. Is it this um, kind of inner feeling of the Christmas spirit that you hear about in the Christmas specials? You know, it's just, you know, all is well inside. You know, the finances may be erect, the kids may be erect, the relatives may be erect, you know, but I've got this inner peace. You know, is that what the peace is? Um, it's certainly not political peace. I don't think so, at least not yet. The angels proclaim peace on earth. I don't see a lot of that around our earth now. I don't see a lot around that, politically speaking, militarily speaking. I don't feel a lot of peace on earth, to be honest with you. In fact, this week, last week, was a really hard one in our family. We've got a daughter who's got pneumonia. You know, she missed school all this week, you know, and it was the one week she didn't want to miss school, you know, so she's upset about that. We're trying different treatments, trying to get that all solved. We got another daughter. She started coughing last night. My wife's about to pull her hair out because she's been stuck in the house all week with the, the daughter. And we're going to Christmas parties and we're doing all the Christmas things and we're trying to be in the Christmas spirit and we just don't want anything to do with it. If we're honest, there's not been a lot of peace on earth in the sweet household. What is this peace? How do we actually experience it? Now, is it just some spiritual thing you just have to kind of try to wrap your mind around? Or is there some tangible expression of peace on earth that you could actually experience this season? That's what I want to talk about from this text. And, and I'll say this, it is what you most need. And it is what I most need. And I think that's true whether you're hearing the good news this morning for the first time or the 10,000th time. It's what you need this morning. But in order to receive it, we have to understand it better than we do. And that's where really digging deep in this familiar text is going to help us. So we have to understand it better than we do. And then we have to receive it or respond to it like the shepherds did in the text. So there's something for us this morning right here. My aim is to help us see this passage in a new way. It's short, it's simple, but it's packed with meaning and significance for us. So let's dive in. I'll start with the context. 700 years it's been since Isaiah's prophecy about a baby who would be Messiah, the king to rule on David's throne. 300 years after Isaiah, the last prophet spoke to the people. So there's now been 400 years of silence. Anybody feel a little bit of the uncomfortableness with silence this morning? Okay, part of that was intentional to kind of make us sort of still our hearts, reflect. But part of it was intentional just to kind of make you pay attention to the fact that we don't 
like silence, most of us. And we live in a culture and society where there's almost no silence. I don't know about you, but I'm driving in the car. I'm, I'm going to have the, something on. I'm listening to a podcast. I'm doing something. I'm at home. There's no silence in my household. I'm at work. I'm either on the phone. I'm interacting. I'll even listen to music while I'm writing a sermon. Just like there's something in me that doesn't like silence, but it's good for our souls. It prepares us to hear. And so God gifted the nation of Israel, generations of the nation of Israel for 400 years of nothing, of silence. I have to imagine they were wondering would he ever speak to them again. Now, it's now the night Jesus is born. Nobody has any idea of this though yet, except the parents. Mary and Joseph are the only human beings that have any clue what the significance of this up to this point. Until this little band of shepherds minding their, I was going to say minding their own business. I guess their own business was the sheep. They're minding the sheep, right? And then out of nowhere, now, now picture this, it's nighttime. Their eyes have adjusted to the darkness. Their ears have adjusted to the relative silence. Probably you had several of them sleeping while one or two more were, were, were staying awake in shifts. And then unexpectedly, in the middle of nowhere, it's like, boom. The glory of God. Like, and that means the brightness. It's like a shining light. Because it's like a huge spotlight just went. And this was sudden. You know, the text says suddenly. It was immediate. So it wasn't like the sun gradually rising and waking them up. It was like you're, you're, you're asleep. And then, boom, you're awake because you got this bright light shining in your face. And then in the center of the brightness, in the center of this bright light, is this single angelic warrior. Okay, and I, I use that word warrior intentionally because that's what he would have been. Forget the artistic arrangement. Uh, um, the artistic rendition of like the, the, the female angel with the blonde hair, you know, like peacefully playing a harp or whatever. That's, that's not what this angel would have been. He, he was an angelic warrior. And in a minute, he's going to be surrounded by the heavenly host. You know what that means? That's the army of heaven. Like it's going to be a whole multitude. So it's going to be this vast army. For now, there's just this single warrior. He's surrounded by the bright light, the brilliance of God. It's, it's an image from the, the Shekinah glory of God in the Old Testament that, you know, led the people in the wilderness through the, the fire. It was just this an explosion of light. You know, it like frightens them like crazy. Sore afraid is how many of us learn that passage. You know, what does that even mean? They're sore afraid. It's probably soiled their pants, among other things. But... Uh, <laughs> But they're terrified. And so the message of the angel is first reassuring their fear. And by the way, that's almost always how angels start when they appear in front of human beings, right? Say, so don't fear, don't fear. And so look at, look at verse 10, they're gonna say it. The angel said to them, do not be afraid. Here's why they don't have to be afraid. The next word, for, okay? This is because. Don't be afraid, because. Behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. Verse 11, for today in the city of David, there's been born for you a Savior who is Christ, the Lord. Now, it's so familiar to us, we cannot lose how it would have felt and sounded to the shepherds. Christ was a code word. Okay, now, it probably would not have been the word Christ, which is a, a Greek word, it was probably spoken to them in Hebrew, maybe Aramaic, which is very similar to Hebrew, would likely been the language that they would have spoken, that most of the Jesus would have spoken at that time. 
But the idea with the word uh, that's spoken to them is Messiah. It's Christ, which is the Greek form of Messiah. Messiah is a Hebrew word. That was code for the king you've been long waiting all these hundreds of years who's finally going to take the throne of David, kick out the enemy army, and inaugurate a rule of peace and prosperity that will last forever. So you and I, we're waiting for another big flash of God's glory to inaugurate a kingdom that will last forever. They were waiting for the same thing. They were waiting for the same thing. And so the angel's saying, it's here. Like that one word, Christ, would have created all these images in their mind because they knew their Hebrew Old Testaments. Now, as if one angel wasn't enough, the the army shows up. Okay, and then this is what happens next. Let's skip down to verse 13. And this is gonna get us into our primary text, the song in verse 14. Verse 13 says this. Suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, here's the song. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. Here's the song of the angels. Let's dig into it. Let's break it down. This is where we're gonna spend most of the message. I wanna talk about two key words in this um, poetic lyric. Glory and peace. These are the two key words. We'll start with Glory in Greek, which is you know how we, we find the text, and then we translate it from Greek into English. The Greek word is doxa. Doxa means brightness, splendor, radiance. It's exactly what they were experiencing. So they're experiencing glory, doxa, brightness, radiance. Then they're hearing glory, glorifying God by this heavenly army. Uh, they also would have thought about the Hebrew conception of that. Again, they might have actually heard the word spoken in Hebrew, potentially. In Hebrew, the word glory is kavod. Kavod. It's a very interesting word. It means heavy. So, you know, literally, it was used of a person that was heavy. But in in that day, heavy was good. Like, heavy meant, like, substantial, healthy You know, it was only the wealthy people that were heavy. Okay, I know this seems different for our day and age, but think about heavy even in our own context, right? You know, at least in the in the '70s, we would use this word. You know, that's that's heavy. You know, (laughs) it's like that has some weight to it. It's like it makes you pause and pay attention. Something has substance is heavy. It's weighty. In fact, we even use a similar phrase in our day. We'll say this. We'll say um, such and such or so-and-so is not someone you should take lightly. Okay? Or that idea, that truth is not something you should take lightly. You see, it comes from this same idea. It's, it's, it's weighty. It's substantive. It's important. And so God's glory is both bright and brilliant and radiant. It's also weighty. It's important. It's serious. To proclaim God's glory, to glorify God like this army, this heavenly army was, is to essentially honor him, to rightly relate to him as someone who is the most radiant, the most brilliant, the most weighty, the most important, someone who's worthy of glory. That's the song of the angels. Starts with this, glory to God. And that's what that means. Now, Here's where I think this gets really interesting. What was happening in this moment of the angels glorifying God in in front of the shepherds, it was 
the shepherd's chance to see a glimpse into heaven of what's always going on in heaven. The angels glorifying God around the throne. Right? That's always going on constantly in, in God's throne room, right? In God's space, so to speak. That's what's happening. And so they get a glimpse of it. Now, for, for this to really kind of come alive to you, let's talk for a minute about the Hebrew understanding of heaven and earth. Okay, their conception was God is everywhere in a sense, but they thought of him or they pictured him as being up in the sky, right? So you talk about the earth is down here where we live and the heavens, by the way, that word in scripture is almost always used plural. The heavens is the abode of God. In fact, one passage in the Old Testament it talks about God being in the heavens and he's so massive that the earth is his footstool. So you think about the presence of God in the heavens, the throne room, and, and the image. Of course, you know, God is spirit, doesn't literally have a body except for the incarnated person of Jesus Christ. But the image that the Hebrew people had was this idea of God's presence sort of invading the earth as a footstool and God's throne room is up in the heavens. So this is the Hebrew conception. It's this idea that, that earth is sort of man's space, is human space. Heaven is God's space. And rarely do the two intersect. Rarely do the two come together. For the most part, there's sort of separation between the two. God in heaven, humans on earth. So the best way to think about this angelic event is a moment in time where heaven and earth overlap. A moment in time, think of it this way, let's give, give you a little bit of an analogy, where there's a portal opened, a gateway opened between human space and God's space. And the, 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 the shepherds, rather, for just a moment, can kind of say, oh my goodness, the heavens have been opened and we are staring into God's space. Okay? Now, interestingly, there's a couple instances of similar things happening in the Old Testament, but they're rare. Maybe one of the clearest is in the book of Genesis where Jacob is sleeping outdoors. He's traveling from one place to another and he has a dream of a staircase. You remember this? We, we often call it Jacob's ladder. By the way, it would not have been a ladder with rungs. It would have been more like a ramp that they would have seen um, that, that would lead up to a temple. Right? That, that's the conception there uh, in Genesis. So he sees this ramp or the staircase and angels are going up and angels are coming down. And he wakes up and he says, oh my goodness, this is a place of God and I didn't even know it. So he names the place Beth El, which means house of God, Beth El, Bethel. And he literally says, this is a gateway to heaven. So in his mind, this was a spot that got, that was a portal. He had stumbled upon a portal between heaven and earth, you see. And so he built a, a little shrine there. Later they built a, a shrine temple on it to mark the spot, to mark the space where God's space and human space intersect. Now this is the same concept happening for these angels. Okay, God is giving them a glimpse. There's sort of a gateway that's been reopened up, at least temporarily, at least momentarily. Now, 
Why had the angels, this is the important question, okay? Why had the angels chosen this moment and this audience for heaven and earth to overlap? Because that's what the birth was all about, right? The overlapping of God's space and human space in the person of Jesus, the incarnated God-man. Now, all that, keep in mind, I know we're getting a little theologically deep here, which is good for us, right? We're gonna go one more step before we start to apply all of it. Let's talk about the second key word, which is peace. Okay, so you've got glory to God, which is sort of conveyed as this gateway, this portal where they can see what's always happening in heaven. This angelic army is glorifying God in, in, in right in their presence. Then you got something else, peace. Peace, let's talk about this word. Uh, the Greek word is irene, but theolo theologically, it would have been the, the, the shalom conception, which is Hebrew. Okay, shalom describes not just the absence of war, but the presence of wholeness. And we've talked about shalom a lot because it's so related to our vision of wholeness, of wholehearted life in Jesus. And so even our own hearts we've talked about are fragmented and Jesus has come to bring about wholeness. So too, the world around us is fragmented. It's fractured. It's broken. Relationships aren't right. Things aren't right. Jesus is making it new. He's making it whole. He's making it shalom. All right? He's putting the pieces back together. That's this idea from a Hebrew perspective of peace. So here's what the angels are saying, okay? God is worthy of glory always because of his character, but particularly right now because he is down the road in Bethlehem doing the work of restoring shalom in the person of Jesus Christ, in this messianic king that has been born. He's bringing peace to human beings, peace on earth, and he's doing it in the midst, or he's doing it, sorry, in the most remarkable way. In the most remarkable way. There's this interesting um, verse in one of Paul's letters, you know, and I don't actually remember the reference, okay? <laughs> which I'll have to look it up in the next service. But he's talking about the, the mystery of the gospel. And he uses this little phrase that, that even the angels long to look into these things. And, and I think what's happening for these angels at this moment is it's like they see the second person of the Trinity that they've known from eternity past as a baby lying in this dirty manger in the stable and, and they know why he came to bring peace to man, to reconcile God and man and they're so overcome by this that they're just bursting into song, glorifying, no doubt with joy in their hearts and wonder in their minds. Glory to God in the highest. Because he's come to bring peace to mankind. Now, the starting point for peace for mankind has to be peace between mankind and God. That's got to be the starting point. Because it was that core relationship that was originally disrupted through sin that has caused the rest of the creation to be fractured and fragmented. 
So we have to at least start. If you want peace in your home, in your marriage, in your household, for your future, you have to at least start with your core relationship with God. And that's primarily what I believe the angels are focusing on here. The kind of peace that they're focusing on here. That will reconcile God and man and then reverberate out like ripples in a pond after a stone has been dropped in to bring peace ultimately to all of creation. Shalom. So here we see the significance of this moment. Ironically, God sent an army to mankind to announce peace. God sent the heavenly army not to destroy those who had rebelled against him, but to announce to them a way of peace, an announcement of good news. What's the good news? Peace. Peace. What kind of peace? It starts with peace between God and man. That's the core relationship that must first be repaired on what basis can there be peace on earth? This is where the, the rest of the world that's out there saying, peace on earth, I think that means like uh, uh, calming the conflict in the Middle East. Or peace on earth, I think that means this inner feeling of zen, no matter what happens. That's where they miss it. That's where they miss it. On what basis can there be peace on earth? Only because of the one who embodies the overlap between heaven and earth. Everything about this announcement, glory to God, peace on earth, it goes back to the baby. It all goes back to Jesus. Jesus himself is the overlapping of heaven and earth. Fully God, fully man. Why did he come? To establish a permanent portal between God's space and human space to make a way for mankind to be in God's presence without getting burnt up. Okay, literally. The way that Jesus would go about doing that would be to become the once and for all atoning sacrifice for the broken shalom, which is sin. The once and for all atoning sacrifice for the sins of mankind to cover over the sins in order to make peace. So this was God's solution to the great dilemma of the broken creation. God says, how can I bring my people back to me with justice? I have to send my son, my own. I have to send myself. I will be the bridge, God says. My son will pay the penalty. Now, I want to go to one more phrase before we start to really apply this. It's this phrase at the end of the verse, you know, with whom he is pleased. Okay, the, the peace is for men with whom he is pleased. Now, you know, first of all, I hope this goes without saying, but I think it's important to say it. Men is not talking about gender here, okay? This was the conception in the Hebrew, Greek, and English idiom up until fairly recently, that means all people. And so many translations will translate this peace among those or peace among people. I think that's a good way to do it. Lest anyone have any doubt, honestly, that he's talking not just about men per se. So peace among men. But what's this idea of with whom he is pleased? What's this idea behind that? 
Well, most of you are familiar with the King James, at least for this passage. Okay, and that's how, um, who is it in the peanuts that actually says this? Is it Linus? Okay, Scott, thank you. So Linus recites the story in the King James. He says, peace on earth, comma, goodwill toward men. That's how the King James translates it. Um, it's almost unanimous today in, in English translations. Scholars say that's not the best way to translate that. It's a bit of a mistranslation because it makes it sound like there's two separate things. There's peace on earth. There's goodwill toward men. Okay? It's not two things. It's actually one continuous idea. Um, so here's a way to think about it. This comes from a commentator on Luke named John Martin. God's peace is not given to those who have goodwill but to those who are recipients of God's goodwill. So I like the way the NIV translates it, actually, which is a little bit different than, than the New American Standard, which we have here on the screen. The NIV says it this way, peace to those on whom his favor rests. It's not about you being a person of goodwill. It's about God taking his grace, his favor, his goodwill, resting it on you. God is the one who brings the peace. You can't earn it, you see. And that's where I stumble a little bit on the translation here and before us. I don't think the translators intended this, but it could be read to be like, man, I guess I better please God. <clears throat> Almost the idea, um, you know, my kids were little, they were talking about the, um, I gotta be careful how I say this. Okay, so the idea of the, the, the nice list and the naughty list. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll just leave it at that. Like, I think you could interpret that wrongly and that you've got to be on the nice list in order to receive peace with God, okay? With whom he is pleased. Is God pleased with me? Oh, I don't know. Have I been good this year? That's not the gospel. That's contrary to the gospel. All right, now... I personally like the way William Hendrickson, who's another commentator, translates this phrase. It's similar to the NIV, but listen to it. Peace among men whom God has graciously chosen. Well, that's interesting. I think that's an accurate translation of the Greek. Peace among men whom God has graciously chosen. If that creates some tension in you around, am I chosen or not? Hold the phone. I'm gonna come back to that tension. Let me first recap. Here's what we know so far, okay? So if you've been snoozing up to this point, this will get you caught back up, I hope. An army of angels appeared to a group of shepherds to announce the birth of Jesus. This created a brief moment in time where heaven and earth seemed to overlap which pointed to the birth of a person in whom heaven and earth overlap. The angel's song named the significance of this birth, which was glory to God in heaven and peace to mankind on earth, specifically peace to those whom God has graciously chosen. Everybody with me? Who does he choose? Whom has God graciously chosen? That's the question you need to know, right? Are you in? Are you out? Has he chosen you, etc.? Now, this is where the audience of this announcement is so interesting to me. Who, just name, what group are the angels announcing good news to? Okay, 
shepherds. Is there significance in that? Well, I think that there is. Uh, these were common people. They were ordinary people. They were lowly people. You, no one aspired to be a shepherd at that point in time. Th these were likely individuals who had other dreams that didn't work out. So God chooses them, like the announcements for them. So it, it's at least for them, right? With those whom he is pleased, with those he has graciously chosen, it's at least for them. It's at least for the shepherds. Many commentators believe the shepherds represent ordinary people, common people, and, and not just the lowly, but just people, you know, just people. The ones who have no claim to deserve God's favor are the ones that God graciously chooses, you see. Now, this is a lot like Mary. The angel comes to her. He says, greeting favor, or greetings favored one, the Lord is with you. And uh, this is Luke chapter one. And Mary's like, what kind of greeting is that? I'm not favored. I'm ordinary. I'm lowly. What is he talking about? In both of these instances with Mary and now the shepherds, God chooses ordinary lowly people to be recipients of his favor. So it's those people that the announcement goes to and then we're gonna see if they align themselves with the good news that has been announced. We're gonna see, we're gonna see. God has chosen them to announce good news. Now, we should also note that according to Matthew's gospel, God also chooses some very unordinary, uncommon people to hear the message as well. I'm thinking of the Magi. Okay, the, the three kings, they weren't actually kings, by the way. Wise men, you know, they were wise. They, they were scholars. They were educated. They would have been wealthy. We know they're wealthy because of the gifts that they brought. They, not only that, but they were far away. They were in a faraway land. They were, they were not Hebrew people. So lest you have any doubt that God only chooses Hebrew people, that's not true. So the announcement goes out to lowly, ordinary Hebrew shepherds. The announcement goes out in a very different way to educated Persian scholars. What do they both have in common? What do they both have in common? They both responded to the message of peace and went and found Jesus and worshiped him. That's how we know they were chosen. They heard the message. They were chosen to hear it. They, were, they responded to the message. We can look back and say, they're chosen by God to have peace with God. They heard the message, they responded to the message. Let's talk about us, okay? And for those of you that really want me to talk about predestination right now, that's all you're gonna get today, okay? <laughs> all right, and those of you that really don't want me to talk about it, that's all you're gonna get today. Now, let, let's talk about us, okay? Does the offer of peace on earth apply to us? Okay, that's what I, the question I wanna answer. If so, what would it look like for us to actually experience peace from God this season? Because I know you need it, and I know I need it. All right, I gotta start here. One of the problems receiving peace is that we don't actually think we need it. Not the kind of peace that we think is being offered, okay? Not peace with God. We want peace from God. It's like, God, make my life peaceful. But we don't think we need peace with God. We don't think we're at war with God. We don't think we're in conflict with God, okay? You just say, I'm fine. I'm good with God. Man, we're not necessarily chummy, but I think we're good, okay? Very people, few people would say they're in conflict with God. Well, let's talk, all right? First of all, you may be more in conflict with God than you think you are 
because what makes you in conflict with God or not is honestly, who's in control of your life? Who's on the throne? Is he your creator? If he is, he calls the shots. If he's not, he doesn't call the shots. You're on the throne of your life. You're actually living upside down in your relationship with God. That is actually a form of rebellion. The issue is who's in control, who is sovereign, you or God. It's not an easy one, is it? None of us like to yield control. And even if you believe God is good, it's hard not to try to put him in his place. Okay, so I believe God is good and then something comes into my life I don't like and it's like, God, why, what? And I start making choices to control my circumstances. All right, so first, you may be more in conflict with God than you think you are, whether you're a believer or not a believer. You have conflict with God in your heart even this morning. Second, I want to remind you the fuller definition of peace is not just the absence of conflict, but the presence of wholeness, the presence of completeness. How would you truthfully describe your relationship with God today, this week, this month, this last year? Most of us would say, okay, maybe a little distant, maybe a little disconnected, maybe a little cold, but not bad, not bad, not not, not bad. Few people I meet would say, God and I are so relationally close, so beautifully reconciled, so intimate. Few people would say that. Why? Think about what it is that dulls and disconnects our relational intimacy with God. It is sin. It is sin. The effect of sin is always to disrupt relational wholeness, to disrupt and tear apart shalom. That's been true since Genesis 3 all the way to 2018. Sin is always a destroyer of peace, a tear in the fabric of shalom. Here's the thing though, okay? And this is where we're really getting down to it, okay? So I'm gonna start to preach. Wherever you are this morning in your relationship with God, Okay, and some of you have never had peace with God. Some of you sort of think you have peace with God theologically, but you're not feeling relational intimacy with God. Wherever you are this morning in your relationship with God, God's word through this text this morning is announcing peace to you. He has graciously chosen you this morning to hear the announcement. You're here. You could be elsewhere. You're here. God is sovereign. You're here for a reason. You're just like the shepherds. You're hearing the announcement. Peace. It's being mediated through the word of God. Not an army of angels, but it's still God speaking. Here's the message once again, in case you haven't heard it yet. Jesus has come. So you can have peace with God in the fullest sense of the word by bridging the gap between God's space and human space. Since your sin separates you from God, he took it on. He took your sin so that you can be fully reconciled. Colossians 1, 21 to 22, although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. You see, peace with God is absolute, not partial. If you're blameless and beyond reproach, you can't get any more 
or any, yeah, more blameless and beyond reproach. You follow that? So what this means is, is, is Matt Chandler likes to say, there's not a future version of yourself that God loves more than the self that is you right here, right now. Because it's not up to your performance. And yes, you're gonna grow, God willing, in following Jesus, but you do not earn his love for you. You do not earn relational intimacy with him. It was earned for you. It was bought for you. You are reconciled with God. And the reason this is hard for us to wrap our minds around is because there's no other form of peace we ever experience that's complete, that's absolute. Your relationships are never wholly reconciled apart from your one with God. Your relationship with your wife, your husband, your mom, your dad, your friends, they're never all whole. They're never shalom, not perfectly, not completely. We don't know the kind of peace that is ours in Jesus Christ through faith. It's absolute. Now, once we understand the kind of peace that's being offered through the Christ child, how do we receive it? How do we rest in it? You have to follow the shepherds. And this is how we're going to close our text. I want you to see how the shepherds made a choice to go find Jesus. Let's close out with verse 15 and 16. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. Now I want you to think about this with me. What could have kept the shepherds from receiving peace? Only their failure to respond to the announcement. What could have caused them from responding to the announcement? Well, one, they could have said, peace with God doesn't interest me because I'm not at war with him. Some of you are there. Some of you are there. And had the shepherds said that, they would not have gone and found peace with Jesus. Secondly, the shepherds could have missed peace by saying, I don't think I'm worthy of God choosing me. I don't think I'm one of the ones with whom he is pleased. Even though they heard the announcement, the shepherd could have said, well, he's probably talking about these other shepherds. Because I know my own heart. I know what I've done. I'm not worthy. Listen, did you hear the word of God proclaimed to you this morning? You did unless you were asleep this morning. It's coming to you from God's word. All right, respond to it. You've been chosen to hear it. You're one of those who've been graciously chosen for God to speak to you with this announcement of, speak, of peace. Finally, some of the shepherds could have missed peace by saying, I can't leave the sheep. Now listen, that would have been a tragically pragmatic reason to miss an encounter with the Son of God. All of us are busy. All of us have a lot going on. Don't let your other responsibilities, of which there are many, keep you from what's most important for your soul, just being in the presence of Jesus for a little while this season. So here's the big idea, big idea of the message, and the so what. For the sake of God's glory and your peace, go see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to you. 
go see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to you. I wanna call our singers back out here. They're gonna lead us in worship in just a moment. Let me show you what will happen when you go and see this thing that has been proclaimed to you. In other words, you turn your attention to the offer of peace to God. You seek it. You open your hands to it. You, in a sense, kneel before the manger and say, Jesus, I believe that you have for me what I most need. You know what's gonna happen? You're gonna get peace. And then right behind the peace, you know what you're gonna experience? Joy. Joy. Because peace and joy go together. And that's why they, they just are all over our Christmas songs. Peace and joy, that combination. True reconciliation is always accompanied by deep emotion. And the deep emotion that will begin to flow out of you is joy. As your soul starts to understand, this is actually what I really need. My family, my marriage, my own heart. We were made for right relationships. And when a core relationship is made whole, we experience it in our emotions as joy. Now, here's what's about to happen. Every week in the series, one of our worship leaders or songwriters here at Fellowship has written a song that matches the text. You're gonna love this one. It's been written by Carl Carty, Chad Cates, and Tony Wood. And it's for us to worship together. All right, it's gonna be unfamiliar that there's gonna come a point in time where you're gonna be asked to sing. It's a joyful song. Let's reflect on peace and let's sing with joy. Amen. Glory to God in the highest. Glory to God in the G. 
that's not a bad way to end a service. (laughs) Let me give you this by way of benediction as you go. Verse 20 of our passage says, the shepherds went back glorifying God and praising God for all that they had seen and heard just as had been told to them. This is your invitation that you leave here differently than how you came in because you've heard the good news of peace proclaimed and you have come and you have seen Let us go with joy, different than when we came here, because Jesus has come. Amen, and Merry Christmas.